This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Two weeks in a row on the podcast with Isaac Trotter, 24-7 Sports. Yep, we call them back. Welcome in. It's Jeremy Warner, Illini Inquirer. Everything we talked about basically on the podcast with Isaac last week, you can throw out the window because we broke down the Big Ten, gave all our thoughts, uh, some hot takes. One of them, for me, uh, actually stood up over a week. But obviously, so much happened in the Big Ten that Isaac and I want to get into. And we chat about Illinois, what we learned from them, and two great first halves and two bad second halves against Purdue and Northwestern. They're week ahead with trips to Rutgers and to Michigan State. We talk about the biggest Big Ten title threats to Illinois and Purdue with three weeks left to go. And we also kind of get into our postseason awards debate about who is first team all Big Ten. Is Johnny Davis still first team all Big Ten? And who is the coach of the year? Is it Brad Underwood or is it one of the overachieving teams like Greg Gard at Wisconsin, Steve Peichel at Rutgers, or there are other guys that we might uh, be overlooking as well. So I had a lot of fun, as always, with Isaac Trotter. Of course, we went long. So if you want an hour of Illinois and Big Ten basketball talk, we got you covered. But before we talk ball, let's talk about some gear. Homefield Apparel long has been one of the best outfitters of college sports apparel in the business. And finally, Homefield is getting into the business of producing Illini gear. It's exciting, man. This Saturday, Homefield Apparel is releasing its line of Illinois gear. And I got to tell you, they gave me a sneak peek at these t-shirts, hoodies, and crewnecks, and they are great. What I love about Homefield is they carefully comb through the Illini history and archives to find the unique logos, moments, and eras to make thoughtful designs for you, the Illini fans. Some of your favorite teams and logos are well represented in this collection. So stay tuned for this Saturday when Homefield Apparel launches their Illini line of comfortable quality clothing. And Illini Inquirer podcast listeners can get a special deal. Get 15% off your first purchase with Homefield with code Illini Inquirer at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. That's 15% at homefieldapparel.com with coupon code Illini Inquirer. Now let's chat some hoops with Isaac Trotter, 24-7 Sports. Time to bring back on Isaac Trotter onto the podcast. Even though he was on last week, there's so much that happened that basically our entire podcast last week uh, is null and void because this league, Isaac, with the Big Ten, it's crazy and so much happened last week. I want to talk to you about Illinois at Rutgers and Michigan State. I want to talk to you about the biggest threat to Illinois and Purdue in the Big Ten. We'll do a little bit of uh, filling out our first team all Big Ten team as well as our coach of the year rankings right now. But uh, with everything that happened in the Big Ten last week, what was what was the craziest thing that happened to you? 
Yeah, there was so much stuff that went on. I, I thought that, you know, Purdue killing Illinois was, you kind of saw that coming a little bit in the second half with how Jaden Ivey just got that look in his eye and you're like, wow, this team is so good. And you just, my favorite thing was just like seeing the narrative around Purdue. Okay, this is a national title team. Like we don't have to care about the defense. This is all great. Like this team is so good. Like their offense is amazing. And then what happens? They just look like absolute garbage the next two games. And it's just, it's so funny how like, it's just everything changes. But again, the number one thing that happened this week that I laughed about the most is Maryland interim coach Danny Manning late game against Maryland or Maryland and Purdue last play. They're trying to get a game winner. I don't know how they got the ball still after that late crazy thing that happened. Dante Scott tries to go up, doesn't get the foul call. Purdue escapes 62, 61 and Manning tweets the three pictures of like the fouls at the end and goes, life is not fair, but you keep battling with like showing that Travion Williams fouled Dante Scott. And then he quote tweets it and goes, still would have had to make the free throws. I'm like, this is such an interim coach just going all out just to show support for his guys about how they deserve to win that game. And using Twitter is just perfect. Yeah, I didn't hate it. The guy's not going to get the head job. Might as well fight for your guys. Uh, you know, create a little buzz around your program by doing it. So uh, I didn't mind that too much. And I, I thought Trevion Williams put pretty good defense, maybe leaned over a little bit. Uh, but I, I do think Maryland had a case there. Dante Scott, just get that call at home. Probably. They're probably fortunate to, to have that opportunity, the last possession, to, to have a chance to win that one. But uh Anyway, I, I think some other crazy things happened. Uh, Nebraska crushing Minnesota. You and I like the deep cuts, but Nebraska getting crushed basically every game in the Big Ten. And then, you know, a try hard team like Minnesota, they're able to blow out. Uh, but of course, then they follow that up with a 23 point loss uh, against Iowa. So uh, Fred Hoiberg can't sustain anything there. Uh, Michigan crushing Purdue after what Purdue did, Illinois, as you mentioned, uh, obviously was a big one. Iowa scoring 110 points, then 98 uh, last week was was pretty impressive. Their offense, they're, they're really good against the bottom half of the Big Ten. But I think it has to be Rutgers, right? I mean, a team that lost back-to-back-to-back games in the non-conference to DePaul, Lafayette, and UMass and started the year, what, 5-5. Five and five. For them to go against Michigan State at home, win, right, by 21 points. To win at home against Ohio State where they came back with a, with a ridiculous surge and what was it, 10-0 in that game. And then to win on the road at Wisconsin – Steve Peichel does an unbelievable job there after losing Jacob Young, one of their top scorers, uh, after losing Miles Johnson, one of the best defenders in the Big Ten. Uh, to do that and, and now have a chance to finish top five in the Big Ten and this week against Illinois and Purdue, stamp your case a, a little bit more for the NCAA Tournament Committee, uh, but also ha- have a chance to knock off um, one of the potential Big Ten champions and, and play spoiler here, but also, I mean, if they have a great week or a great finish, Put yourself into this race. It's, it's pretty crazy. So kudos to Rutgers and what has been a, a fantastic month so far. Yeah. At the end of the day, like it doesn't matter who you lost to in November. Sometimes if it, it comes down to who you beat. And I think that's really important. Like who you beat really matters. And they have three of the best wins. I mean, you, you'll be hard pressed to find three better wins in a row in a three game sample size between Michigan state, Ohio state, and then going on the road to Wisconsin. That's three like top 25, really, really good wins. And they're doing it without any bench play, really. Like they're, they're relying so much on just a few guys just to give them everything that they need. And it's really, really impressive. And, you know, I was looking back at the the preseason and where did Rutgers have them ranked? And they were all like 
right in that middle of the pack, like that eight ish range and that in the big 10, seven, eight, nine. And the fact that they're right here on like, I, I don't, I'm not considering them as a top tier team. I don't even put them in that second tier, but they're, they're right there on that top of that third tier. They could finish fifth or sixth in the big 10. Like we, this was a team that at the beginning of the year, we thought could be last like dead last in the conference and now they're in position to not only get like a, a top eight in the big 10 but maybe top six and that's that's impressive with with just all this talent that's gone out the building and you know how much they're really relying on just these few guys to play really really well yeah i thought coming into the year like steve peichel i gave a little credit to so i didn't think they'd be bottom four because the bottom four i think is pretty weak this year but the fact that i i can sit there Rutgers against michigan Rutgers against iowa who are you picking um, I think that's a legit, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know who's better there. Like, and they could finish higher than, than maybe a Michigan state <laughs> at the end of the year, given the schedule that Michigan state. So I think the craziest thing of the week is Rutgers to go, to go from losing back-to-back games, back-to-back to back to DePaul, Lafayette and UMass to now winning back-to-back Michigan state, Ohio state, Wisconsin, and thinking that they legitimately could win at least one of these games this week against Illinois and Purdue and, you know, clinch a 500 plus record. Uh, you know, they got some tough games remaining, but that, that's a pretty impressive turnaround. And Paul Mulcahy has, uh, if it weren't for Keegan Murray, we probably would have been player of the week. So um, to see him going from that scrappy white guy that everyone hates to legitimate one of the best guards right now in the big 10. Well, and you go, where has this been? for Paul Mulcahy because it just, you just didn't see it at all. And I guess you can talk about high school stuff. I, I throw high school stuff out. Like it just doesn't matter. And I think what it is, is just confidence knowing your role. We talk about that a lot with Wisconsin. Like that's what I liked about Wisconsin. The most is that everybody knows their role. Davis knew his role. And then you had a Tyler wall knows his role and he's going to be that number two on some nights or Brad Davison is going to be that number two. Like that's what you see with Rutgers role definition is so matters. It matters so much. Illinois doesn't have that yet. I don't think Rutgers has it because they know that everything is going through Ron Harper Jr. for the most part. But if he doesn't have things going, they got multiple guys that are comfortable being those supplementary pieces that step in. And Cliff O'Marui does his job. And Caleb McConnell doesn't care if he doesn't score. He'll just guard his butt off every night. And they're fine playing 35, 36 minutes out of their out of their, their starters. And that's good. And, you know, one of the things, too, with them, too, is their 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 most impressive the performance this week honestly was that Ohio State game because they were dead to rights like dead to rights down by eight with like three minutes left and then you just saw like this whole team go we're not letting them score ever again like they legitimately locked in defensively and every single possession they needed to score on it and they did and every single defensive possession they just took the ball away from from Ohio State and just said listen you're just not scoring here and like that type of mindset is is really rare with some teams like they were really really locked in during that closing stretch and they needed it I want to talk about the the Big Ten title race because boy this is gonna be a lot of fun because there's really five uh, teams I think legitimately have a chance to get a share of the title with three weeks left to go, which is, is so much fun. The last couple of years has certainly given us that in the, in the big 10. Um, but let's talk about Illinois. You lose to Purdue. You have a fantastic first half uh, against Purdue and uh, against Northwestern, but the second halves were, were really awful uh, for, for both Purdue. And, and you give a lot of credit to Purdue. I mean, offensively, Jaden Ivey, I don't know who could have stopped him that night, uh, but Illinois just not able to get stops. And then, 
Um, offensively, obviously, they got into a drag. Against Northwestern, it was just offense, just terrible offense. Led to easy buckets for Northwestern, allowed them to come back in that game, cut the lead to one, cut the lead to a couple uh, of possessions several times in that one. You never apologize for a win, uh, Isaac, but even though they're number one in the Big Ten going into the final three weeks, last week didn't give you a lot of confidence, yet here you are. Um, Purdue, you know, didn't gain a lot of confidence outside of that Illinois game last week. Wisconsin loses, right? I mean, Ohio State has split their last four games. Sometimes it's just survival, yet you're still waiting for that. You said last week, Illinois is going to have this offensive explosion and that you put it all together. It just hasn't felt like um, this team at full strength has put it all together. I say that given the Wisconsin game was pretty good. The Indiana second half was pretty dang good but you're just kind of looking for prettiness all the time. And I just don't know if you get that in the big 10 consistently. So I don't know whether it's Purdue, Illinois, or they're going to see a pretty, you know, rest of the season for one team. Cause the big 10 doesn't really give you the chance to do that. Yeah. It's funny because at halftime of both Purdue and Northwestern, I'm like, well, there's that offensive explosion that I kept talking about. Like it's there. I'm telling you it is there. Then there, here it comes. And it, it just looks so good. And then the second half, it falls apart. One thing I've noticed Last two halves, second halves, Alfonso Plummer's completely disappeared. Like, yeah. not done anything in each of this last two second halves. What do you have? 14 was... first half against Purdue, 16 yeah. first half against Northwestern. I, I mean, teams are gearing up on him, but I agree. Like, that's still an issue when, when a guy just disappears. Well, and the thing is, is it's not necessarily his fault, but you talk about being able to stem those tides and being able to go get a bucket or go get to the free throw. Plummer's been that guy for them. Like he's the one that goes and gets buckets like Indiana, like they had some stretches where they're just, their offense looks bad and plumber just makes something out of nothing and gets the free throw line or gets to the rim somehow. And, 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 and just creates points for you in weird ways. Like you don't really scheme it up. He just does it for you. And like, that's so important. That's such an important thing. And Illinois hasn't had that in the second halves against both Purdue and Northwestern. And the thing with that, I didn't really like the last two second halves is it felt like felt like Northwestern wanted it more than you in that second half. It felt like Purdue wanted it more than you. And I was like, this is, this is a little concerning from a Brad Underwood coach team, but you escape with a win. And you, you know, that with, with Underwood and with this staff, that, that type of mindset doesn't last very long, maybe a game or two, maybe a half or two. It's not something you're concerned about long-term. And it makes me feel pretty good about going into Rutgers because I feel like their effort is going to be pretty locked in for 40 minutes and, and they're just more talented than Rutgers. So I feel like they're going to have a good chance to pull this one out. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's kind of led to this is, you know, your point guard play. Like, I think Trent has been great defensively and great as a point guard, like distributing, running the offense. I think one of the things that Curbelo is struggling with right now is kind of taking the singles, right, and doubles that, that the defense gives you. Trent's been great at that, but he's not making shots. Outside of that Indiana explosion, um, he hasn't been very good offensively shooting the ball in, what, four out of the last five games. Uh, and, and those injuries, the minutes, feels like, Maybe they're catching up to him. I asked Brad Underwood about that today, how they manage him. And he said Trent's been a little bit more open uh, to taking some time off during practices between games because we know he doesn't need a lot of practice. But you also would like him to practice with Andre Curbelo because Curbelo and him can play together and be lethal. They need to learn how to play together again, it feels like at times, because Curbelo, we've seen it against Purdue, against Indiana. There are moments when he can really lift them and, as you said, go get a bucket. Someone other than Alfonso Plummer that can do that. But obviously, uh, in, in most of that game against you know Northwestern, he was, he was forcing the issue a little bit too much. I thought he came out well 
you know, it was kind of creating for, for teammates had two assists in his first two minutes, but then it kind of forced the issue a little bit too much. And, and he was part of the turnover issues. And then Kofi got frustrated and, and flustered a little bit. And, and you don't often see that, but I get it when you're getting hacked that many times. Um, and, and he's the, one of the other guys that can go get you a bucket. And he did late in the game. He, he came up with some huge plays. So there are some concerns here, but at the same time, like I love that Illinois finds a way to win those games. Right in the past, they they did like two three years ago. They weren't able to win those games. Now they're finding ways to win ugly, and I think a lot of it has to do with Kofi Coburn. Um, he just helps you, you know, when you don't have a great night, he doesn't have a great night, and he ends up with nineteen and fifteen. Um, I, I think that's just just monstrous when you have a guy that that can do that, and and, and maybe burying the lead of R.J. Melendez stepping up, but you have depth now that can make up for an off night from Grandison or Frazier or whoever it is. That's the thing. You just have so many pieces now, the pieces to the puzzle. And that's and that's where when you look at Wisconsin, that's might be the biggest issue is you go, OK, if we can make Johnny Davis be inefficient, then you have a chance to, to potentially pull that one out. Illinois has just so many different answers right now that other teams don't have. I think the depth of this team is a little bit underrated, but they still have some fine tuning that they're still trying to get for. And throughout this entire year, we've had a Ben, Ben Bossman's Verdant game, right? Where he helps you a lot in a big game that you didn't expect. We've had the Omar Payne game where he's helped you a lot in a game you didn't expect. We've had an Andre Curbelo game. We've had our RJ Melendez game. You have Luke Goody game against Michigan state where he helps you when you're not really expecting it. It feels like Trent's carried such a huge load. We like our baseball analogies, right? He's like that starting pitcher who carried you for a really long time. He needs a couple weeks where you can relax. And now it feels like it's time for your All-American point guard, preseason All-American point guard. It's time for him to carry his, his load a little bit this year and do his what he was supposed to do this year, right? And like that, that's like the thing I'm looking at the most. Like, can Andre Curbelo win that trust back from Brad Underwood? Because I know he trusts him, but he doesn't play him in the second half against Northwestern because he was untrustworthy. And they needed other guys on the floor that could, you know, stem the tide and, and win that ball game. And that was playing through Kofi. But it feels like everybody else has done their job. You've gotten more out of Plummer than you expected. You've gotten more out of Trent Frazier than you expected. Jacob Grand and was playing like one of the best players in the country earlier in the year. Now it's time for Andre Corbello to play like, like he's capable of, one of the best players in the country, and carry you down the stretch against some teams where he, he honestly should be able to get into the lane against almost every single team he plays down the stretch. And, and if he can do that and he can start doing what he was supposed to do, I think then you can start to see this team kind of get, get comfortable a little bit and breathe a little bit down the stretch. I think I texted you this, but it's like it's weird to say this, but it feels like he could watch RJ Melendez and be like, I could act more like him because RJ, despite not playing much, when he came into these games for a couple minutes, he didn't force very much. I mean, there were a couple turnovers and a couple defensive lapses earlier in the season that, that people may not remember now because you're just glowing in the bask of, of what uh, RJ Melendez has been, um, or basking in the glow, I should say, um, of what RJ Melendez has been. But there were some issues, but he didn't try and force to do too much. Like Andre, kind of, you know, last year found his role, um, you know, later in the season where, Hey, I can play with Iowa with Trent and not try to do too much, but I can find my spots where I can go get mine. I can go get my bucket, but to work within the system, I think is really important. Um, but he is a phenomenal player. And I, I still think he's going to mean a lot for this team, uh, during the stretch run, but I do want to ask you about RJ Melendez. You, you love your long athletic mm -hmm. wings and Illinois has lacked that. Um, you know, Alan Griffin showed us spurts, Tevian Jones showed us very few flashes, but we were tantalized. I think you love Tevian because you were tantalized 
with what could be um, RJ, even though it's only been a few games, it just feels more believable almost like that. This is going to be a consistent thing because you can, you pair all those physical talents with a really high basketball IQ. Allen and Tev are amazing players when they make shots and their threes are dropping and you see it against Maryland and, and at MSG and Tev's making shots. And it's like, Oh man, this is amazing. And we can live with the defensive issues and we can live with not understanding the scouting report and we can live with the loose handle. And then you see RJ and it's like, okay, so he defends and he knows the scouting report for the most part. And that one time against Chase Adich, he didn't, he figured it out and he understands how to switch defensively and he passes and he's comfortable handling the ball and he'll get a defensive rebound against Indiana and look at Trent and go, I got this on the road. I'll dribble the ball up the floor and try to get us into offense. And then he does all these things. And then he makes the shots on top of it. And it's like, okay, we can play you because of all the extra stuff that you're doing for us. And then when you make shots, then you turn into an unbelievable player and a huge, huge piece. And, you know, there's a couple plays this week that really stood out. The Northwestern stuff was really good against Purdue when you're down by 10 and he takes the ball off the bounce for a one dribble pull up on the road. That was really impressive. Knocked it down. Like maybe it's a shot that you don't necessarily love taking, but just his confidence, his feel, you can tell he's there. And the week ahead is so huge for him because now you have a guy that you can throw at Ron Harper Jr. And now you have a guy you can throw at Malik Hall when you play Michigan State. And when you go up against Ohio State, you have another guy that you can throw at EJ Liddell. And now I feel like he is kind of rounding into form where he you, you can talk, talk about the offense. You can talk about everything. But I just look at him as a potential defensive guy that they can throw at those three guys, those fours that have given Illinois fits for a year and a half. If Jacob Grandison's not playing well, if Demonte Williams is not making shots and not playing well. And now you have another guy and. You talk about a missing piece of the puzzle. This is exactly what they've missed. Just these big, long athletic wings that other teams have and you don't have. And maybe he's that piece. One thing that has impressed me so much about this freshman class is just their fearlessness, right? And their confidence despite not playing very much or very consistently. Like Luke Goody, what he did against Michigan State. You don't have Kofi. You don't have uh, Andre Corbello. And Luke Goody plays as important a role as anybody not named Trent Frazier. Um, on that team and Bossman's Verdonk had a really good game too, but like it was huge to get that. And he was playing five, four minutes, uh, Brandon Pajimski against Northwestern to do some of the things he did. And now RJ Melendez to keep that confidence despite not playing in games, but it sounds like he earned it by, you know, stopping some of these Illini veterans in practice, um, you know, playing really well offensively in practice against, you know, DeMonte and, and Grandison and some of these guys, um, and, and Brad Underwood, sometimes you can roll your eyes if, if you're a little bit skeptical, if you're a cynic, um, when Brad says, I, I like character over characters, right? Like, but you're starting to see that. Uh, I, I think with, with this class, especially, I think with the guys who have remained at Illinois, the toughness, the confidence, the teamwork, uh, and I think Ty Rogers embodies that in, in the next class, a guy that could probably be more selfish in high school. But that's what's impressed me, not only about RJ, but but Brandon Pajimski and, and Luke Goody is, you know, those guys aren't all ready. They're not going to always play. Like some people upset Luke Goody didn't play the other day. Why? RJ Melendez was awesome. And, 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 and Grandison has earned his playing time, right? Like, yes, RJ should maybe steal some minutes from him. Maybe Goody, if, if Grandison goes 0 for 7, can steal a minute or two. But Grandison's still really important to what they do, especially passing the ball, stretching the, the court. Uh, but the freshmen, like the mentality 
And, and you know, the culture is a loaded word that every coach uses. You, you see that, like, right? I mean, we've seen that, especially with these freshmen here recently. Well, think about even this. Like, um, you see what Luke Goody does against Michigan State. He plays 27 minutes, hits three threes, <clears throat> big rebounds, couple assists, doesn't turn the ball over. Next game against Northwestern, he doesn't play. He plays five minutes in that game, barely touched the floor. He could have been irritated. He could have been texting mom and dad, like, I, I thought I earned these minutes, I, you know, all these things. It didn't work out. Why? Because this is basketball. Everything changes on a game-to-game -game basis. RJ Melendez going off doesn't necessarily mean that RJ Melendez is going to go off in every single game, but it sure means that Demonte Williams is going to try a lot harder because he knows his role is on ice. He knows Jim, or Jacob Grandison's going to try a whole lot harder soon because he knows he's got to fight for his minutes. It's a high tide raises everything. Like a freshman playing really good, maybe he doesn't play the next game because the veterans go, "Gosh, I kind of feel the heat a little bit of this guy, and I got to step my game up a little but bit." And that's guy, a great thing. That guy is also helping you win, right? And. And R.J. Melendez, Brandon Pajemski, and Luke Goody, maybe they didn't know Kofi was coming back. Uh, maybe they didn't know DeMonte and Trent were coming back when they committed. But they, they came to a winning program, right? So you knew you were going to have to work for your minutes. So I think to have the maturity to be able to deal with that, to have the people around you, uh, the good circle of people around you, and, and to, to listen to coaches that, hey, we're, we're going to get through this. Like, I'm sure Coleman Hawkins has dealt with that this year of, man, this isn't going the way I wanted to. But we talked to him today, and he said the right things about, hey, we're winning. I, I, I can't worry about that other stuff. I'm sure he's personally dealt with some things. RJ sounded like, yeah, I wanted some more minutes, but, hey, I got to go get them. And, uh, you know, he makes the most of them, and Brad Underwood continually now rewarding him with more minutes. So I think it's a great sign for the program. Doesn't mean no one's going to transfer out. That's going right. to happen. But I think Brad Underwood has handled this pretty well as well. I mean, everyone's saying RJ Melendez needs 25, 30 minutes. Like, I, I'm not going to argue with the way Brad Underwood's handled this team because they're 18 and six despite a lot of adversity. Correct. And like we, I, you brought up a great point. Like guys are still going to transfer. That's, this is normal in college basketball. It makes sense. It, it's never been more popular to, it's never been more popular and it makes sense. There's great options out there to, to find success. And you know, got a lot of minutes, Alan Griffin and, and Adam Miller, right? They, they both got a lot of minutes. Didn't stop them from transfer. Right. And so it's, it's more about, it's more about like having those options and having backup plans and understanding where, where you're coming from. And, you know, I, I love to think ahead in the future and I'm already thinking about Ty Rogers and RJ Melendez and their ability to play switching defense next year on the wing. And maybe if, if Kofi comes back, you have a, a rim protector and then you have these wings that always can stop everybody. And you think you can get better defensively. And I'm like, man, this defense next year is going to be really, really fun. Like I, I like to think like that. But we have to remember, like, everything can change on a dime. We just never know how this thing's going to happen. And honestly, coaches now are not thinking in four years anymore. It's a one-year thing. It's like your roster is a one-year thing. It's not a four-year, okay, this guy I can guarantee is going to be here for four years, and Melendez is going to average three points as a freshman and seven points as a sophomore and 11 as a junior and 15 as a senior. That's just not how that works anymore. But you look at Melendez and you go, man, he got a little, little Johnny Davis in him. Man, he's got a little, he's got a little feel like where you go, Ooh, this could be, this could be a really fun kid to watch in the next couple of years. I was going to say, that's the fun thing about being an Illinois fan right now is listen, you thought coming to this year, Andre Curbelo would be the best point guard in the country. Obviously injuries have gotten in the way, but when you have a guy with flashes like that in high basketball IQ, you can dream of him being the next Keegan Murray or the next Johnny Davis who takes that huge sophomore leap. I'm not going to put that on him. 
but I think RJ Melendez is showing that he can be a star for you. Um, it may be sooner than, than later. I think Goody has shown that he can be very, very good for you next year. Um, and, 1500 career points for Luke Goody go. <laughs> a little high, a little high. Um, but Curbelo is back full, most likely right with, with a full year with him. Ty Rogers is coming in. You've seen flashes. I think Omar Payne is, is playing better basketball here recently. So you can build on that. Plus you have a staff that, you know, whether it's strength and, and development with, with Fletch or just getting better as a player, individual development, like the staff, you feel like they're going to get the most out of these guys. So when you have a tantalizing player like RJ Melendez, you think the staff is, is going to get the most out of them. And when we talk about culture, we cannot forget about all these other pieces. It's not just the basketball. It's not just the minutes on the floor. It's not just Big Ten play. I think Adam Fletcher plays a huge role in this culture. I think these assistants play a huge role in the culture. It's a whole body thing. It's all of everybody in there. Like Adam Fletcher, like you talk about being an everyday guy, like that's your mentality. He is the definition of that with what he does in the strength and conditioning. It's a way of lifestyle for them, the way they eat, the way they run, the way they watch film, the way that they practice, the way that they play. This is a whole way of lifestyle. And that's like, I think that's why Brad likes these sit out transfers that can sit for a year and kind of learn how you do it because it's just way more than basketball with, with how they run their entire program. And the culture is, is something that is the same in September. It's the same in August as it is in March when things really matter. And I think that's, that's what counts. Like, you know, I was, I was watching the Super Bowl and you, you hear about Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford. Like, why, why are they awesome? Because of all the time they spent in the summer waking up at 6 a.m. to go through all of these little things, every single route, every single combination, every single blitz route, all of these things. What am I doing? And that's the stuff that like this team has a little bit because these freshmen care and they're, they're impactful freshmen that want to be here. And you have veterans that really care and you found the right coaches too to fill out your staff so it's it's a whole thing with this culture thing and it's it's just way more than just what we see for two hours twice a week during big 10 play before we look at the rest of the big 10 isaac uh what are the keys to being Rutgers on the road what are the keys to beating michigan state on the road yeah so with with Rutgers, i think you have to not be bothered by their length that's the thing that really stands out the most about them because Cliff Omarui is, is a really long guy at the, at the rim, and he's a really good shot blocker, and I really like him. But Caleb McConnell, Paul Mulcahy, Geo Baker, and Ron Harper are all over six foot four. They're six four to six seven. They're really long. They're switchable. You know, I was kind of thinking about like some matchups, and I'm interested to see who uh, Caleb McConnell goes and guards because he's been their stopper this year, and Illinois doesn't really have that one guy that you stop. And I think Illinois' team speed could give them a little bit of issues. Like, I wonder if they could play three small guards against this team because they are really, really fast and shifty. So I wonder if you see some Plummer and Curbelo and Frazier moments. Um, but then defensively, I'm not scared about Rutgers at all offensively. And that's where the thing is, is that like Brad can talk about the respect that you have for them and, and everything. But Illinois struggles the most this year with teams that have so many offensive weapons and they just don't have that. And so I feel like, you know, Ron Harper has to go for 35 and it might still might not be enough because I feel like I can trust Trent Frazier to take away Geo Baker and make him inefficient. I can trust Kofi to take away Cliff Omarui and, and make him inefficient. And I, I'm not sure that Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell are, are competent enough to be able to, you know, Mulcahy's probably getting guarded by DeMonte. I just don't know if he's going to be able to go for 22 and be able to su supplement, you know, Ron Harper Jr.'s brilliance because he's just really, really good. Yeah, you said it. I have so much confidence in Trent Frazier to, to make Geo Baker inefficient. Uh, Kofi's obviously 
a huge advantage, even over a solid Big Ten big man with upside, like Cliff Omar Ruiz playing really well. Um, Ron Harper's the guy. Like, if you slow him down, like the games you've struggled against Rutgers the last couple of years, Harper's killed you. Right. Last year, what he score 30 something and that 91 88 win for Rutgers. That that's the key for me because uh, I do think, you know, DeMonte can, can slow down Caleb McConnell or Paul McKay, uh, whoever goes on him. I know I do think Alfonso Plummer, whoever's he go, he's guarding, it's going to have a huge size disadvantage. So that's where Mulcahy can really, you know, um, sit in there in the low post and post him up. That's a concern. But I, I do think if you slow Harper, uh, Rutgers is in trouble because I, I just, it's a great thing when you expect Trent Frazier to keep Geo Baker to like eight points on three for 13 shooting or whatever. It's just unbelievable how much of a benefit that is. Like that's just, that that's not normal. That's what we have to keep talking about. This is not normal to be able to have a guy that just is going to constantly do this every single night. We'll remember that next year, right? Yeah. Oh, and it'll be on full display next year. It'll be on full display. But that, that's the thing I think that with this matchup too against Rutgers is you can hide quote unquote Alfonso Plummer defensively a little bit better because Caleb McConnell just hasn't scored this year. He has not been an offensive He, You know, he had that one game against Illinois and then he like didn't score again for the rest of his career. It feels like, like if you go back through his game logs, he's had two double digit scoring performances since January 1st, he's going to probably need to score 11 to 15 points to beat Illinois. And like, that's the thing, like you saw it in the big 10 tournament too, against this team, like Rutgers does not have a good answer for Kofi. It didn't matter when they had Miles Johnson. It doesn't matter with Cliff Lomarui. They have no Kofi thing. And that is, it's as simple as a game plan as, as that. Can you have a guy that you can guard Kofi one-on-one with? I don't think Rutgers can do that. And that just changes the entire game. And when you look at the NCAA tournament, when you look at the top 25 or teams that you think Illinois could meet up with for big tournament games, the, the one question every time is, do they have one guy that can stop Kofi? And if not, Illinois probably got a huge advantage. So uh, Michigan State, I've liked a little bit of what I've seen out of A.J. Hogard lately. Um, they, they've been playing a little bit better from the point guard position. Uh, but Gabe Brown has not played as well. Max Christie hit a little bit of a freshman wall there, it feels like. Um, but the, Malik Hall is a really good player. Marcus Bingham against Kofi's an, an interesting matchup. We didn't get to see the first time around uh, because Bingham length, athleticism can maybe bother Kofi, but Kofi's so much stronger than him. Uh, what, what do you think of that matchup? Because Michigan State, I know they lost without Kofi there and Corbello there, but this is still a team with a lot of depth and a lot of size in the front court. Yeah. And for the most part, they've been really good at home compared to on the road. Like I, Max Christie at home compared to his home road splits are definitely significant. I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but he had like 21 against Nebraska at home, 16 against Minnesota at home. He had 16 against Michigan at home. Uh, he has not scored in double figures on the road since January 2nd against Northwestern when he had 11. So he's just a different player. Uh, the first time that they played, I thought it was interesting that Trent guarded Christie. I thought that was really, really interesting. And I'd be interested to see if that's the same, the same type of matchup that they go to where they basically tell Michigan State straight up to their face, hey, we don't think your point guards are good enough to kill Alfonso Plummer every single night. Let's see what you got. And Illinois' drop defense, drop coverage defense against their pick and rolls forces Hogard and forces Walker to make those mid-range tough twos. And those are shots that they've just really struggled with all year long. So from a matchup perspective, it comes down to can Illinois avoid those offensive droughts? If they can t- avoid those offensive droughts and just stem the tide with buckets, they should be fine. And, and I think Plummer can get into the lane again against, or, or not Plummer, 
uh, Carbello can get into the lane whenever he wants against Michigan State, just whenever he wants. And if he can play under control, I think he could be a really big difference maker because he's just he just adds a different dimension. Like this team has been very good offensively with really no transition scoring. And that was a big question for us without Io on the floor, like who's going to score in transition. And Curbelo is your number one asset in transition. And, and Brad is trying to get him to run faster because it opens up the door for, for Grandison transition threes and Plummer transition threes and Goody and Melendez to do what they do. And Curbelo can be that engine. And if he can, if he can do that for you against Michigan state and you can kind of beat Michigan state at their own game, I think Illinois could be in position to steal another one on the road. Like this seems so good on the road and they're going to have a chance against Michigan state just because their defense is going to, it plays well. And if they can find a way to, to avoid those offensive lulls, you're going to be right there. Yeah. It's weird that a Brad Underwood team is kind of losing in transition right now. That's a little bit different. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for your at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, Isaac, I want to focus on the rest of the Big Ten. So uh, with three weeks remaining, I think there's five legitimate Big Ten share of the title contenders here. Illinois, obviously, atop the rankings or atop the standings at 11 and three. Purdue at 11 and four, half game back. Wisconsin still just one game back. Michigan State a game and a half. And Ohio State uh, just has one fewer loss than Illinois, but three fewer wins. They got eight games still uh, to play the rest of the season here. Um, and Rutgers, if they win both games this week, we got to put them in there. Uh, but yep. it's just their schedule is so difficult that. They have to run a rough shot uh, to be a Big Ten title contender, but I'm not going to count them out quite yet. But Illinois and Purdue clearly have the best chance to win the Big Ten, including just a share of it. Who do you think is the biggest threat outside of Illinois and Purdue to, to claim it outright or just sneak a share of it? So I think the correct answer is Wisconsin, just with the schedule. Because uh, you have Minnesota, you have Nebraska, you have Indiana, who is, you know, you're on the road, but they haven't played that well. Um, so th the correct answer is Wisconsin. I know I should say it's Ohio State. I know I probably should say it's Michigan State. I don't like any of these teams. That's the thing that where I'm at. Like, I would just be stunned if any of these teams other than Illinois and Purdue got it, because I feel like each one of them have such big holes that I can poke in and they just don't have enough offensive weapons. Like, I don't think Wisconsin has enough offensive weapons to be able to overtake these teams because their lulls are problems. Like we're seeing problems. Ohio State has a guy and I love EJ Liddell but their defense is still continues to frustrate at times. And, you know, they were really good against Michigan, but I thought that was more of a Michigan missing shots than it was Ohio state playing awesome defensively in Michigan's fourth game in eight days. 
and then Wisconsin and just, or, and then Michigan state, it's just like, I, I, they're so inconsistent. And I know, I don't know if they can, they can beat teams when they constantly beat themselves. Michigan state's biggest enemy is Michigan state. Tom has said it all year long. So I, I think the correct answer is Wisconsin just because of the schedule, but I don't like any of these teams. And if any of them beat Illinois or Purdue and outright kudos to them, because I did not see it coming. Yeah. I think it's clear. Wisconsin has the easiest path to doing this. Um, and, and I do think against their schedule, like they can find a way to get four more wins, right. And, and get to 14 and six. So Villanoy and Purdue stumble a little bit. It's just Johnny Davis. Isn't quite all first team, all American Johnny Davis right now over his last six games, he's averaging 15 points, shooting 40% from the field under 20% from three, that team becomes a lot more beatable. I really like Tyler wall. I think Chucky Hepburn is going to be a great player in the big 10. Um, it's a good team, as you said, that knows its roles, but its star has to be a star to win the Big Ten, and he hasn't quite been lately. And Brad Davison's a really good player. He's had some lulls here recently as well. But if those guys get hot and and they knock off, I think you know they both got Illinois, I believe, left on the you know Illinois and Purdue on the schedule. Like all of a sudden, um, or they don't have Illinois, but Wisconsin does play at Purdue. That game could be huge um, if they're able to beat them and take care of business against some of the weaker teams on their schedule. I think Michigan State is the most solid, well-rounded team of these three. Um, outside of Illinois, I think it's the most balanced kind of offense-defense team in the Big Ten. I just it, – there's not the star power. Like, I, I still – they just lack that dude who can take over games. Ohio State has that dude, but as you said, it feels like Ohio State is just a lesser version of Purdue right now and that they're really good offensively. They could explode. They could beat anybody in the country, but can you rely on them defensively every night to get the stops they need? That's that's where I feel like they're kind of a – I don't want to say poor man's version, but just like a 85% or 80% of Purdue right now, which is a really, really good team. Um, I, just, I just don't know if they can consistently win the games – I mean, eight games left. This is a sprint for them. I think it's going to be really difficult for them. But I, I think Ohio State's the most talented team of that group. I think the highest ceiling once you get into March, but they just don't consistently defend enough for me. And we haven't seen that Illinois-Ohio State matchup yet this year, which is also another – that changes things, how, how we view it. We saw that Ohio State-Purdue matchup. Purdue had that game well in hand until EJ and Malachi Brandon went absolutely nuts late to make it a lot closer than what the game actually was. So I think I, I'm, I'm completely with you. I, and I think, you know, an, a team that's really going to be interesting down the stretch that could play a role of spoiler is Michigan. And just to see how they are, because they're, they're going to play Wisconsin again. They're going to play Illinois again. They're going to get Michigan State again. And they're going to get Ohio State again. And I feel like Michigan is going to have a, a, their fingerprints, even though they aren't going to be the number one team in the country or in the conference like they were at the beginning of the preseason. Like their fingerprints are going to be all over this because they've shown that upside that they can beat anybody, but they can, man, they can lose to anybody too. And it, it's so funny just like looking back at like that preseason Big Ten poll and Michigan's number one and, and I, I also was like looking at some of the guys that got player of the year votes in that. Would you, would you believe me if I told you that, uh, that Trace Jackson Davis got the same amount of votes for player of the year as Hunter Dickinson in that thing? He got the same amount of votes in that. Yeah, I, I can believe it. Stats, you know, easy, the, the con congestible stats or the um, ones that people digestible stats is the word I'm looking for. Like they just, um, I like Trace Jason Davis, and we'll talk about him here in the, in the first team ballot, but it's just there's not enough winning there. Uh, there's not enough showing up for the, the big games against big opponents. Like, that matters to me. Uh, and Hunter Dickinson, 
is going to be a problem for somebody. He's going to be a problem for somebody, one of these contenders. I think Rutgers, Rutgers and Michigan are have a huge role in, in who wins the Big Ten. They already are, uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch down the stretch. Speaking of that all Big Ten first team, I think it's becoming a little clear. Um, and I, I think we got some locks for the first team. So tell me when you agree or disagree on who is definitely on the first team. All right, Kofi Coburn, lock. Yes. EJ Liddell, lock. Lock. Jaden Ivey, I, his defense bothers me. I think he could be elite there, and I don't use that word like PJ Fly. I think he could be great there if he just focused on it. But he has hit bigger shots than anybody, taken over games more so than anybody in the Big Ten. To me, he's a lock. No doubt. Lock. A guy who's starting to make his case, though I don't have him as a lock yet, but I have him comfortably at number four is Keegan Murray. Okay, that's fair. All right, I'm okay with that. I, I don't that's have him as a lock. That's weird for me to say because Johnny Davis has been fantastic, and I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but Keegan Murray's turning up his game. My issue with Keegan is the opposite of Jaden Ivey, is against the great opponents, he's been good. He's been mm-hmm. pretty good. He hasn't been great. Um, so that's he, he kills the bottom half of the Big Ten. Um, and that's where his numbers are. So I don't want to be too much into numbers because I think Jaden Ivey would put up even bigger numbers than Keegan Murray and I. We are in lockstep. I, I went and did this research beforehand. Okay. Keegan Murray has played in 12 Big Ten games this year out of the 13. He missed one against Purdue. He has played seven teams this year that are under 500 in the conference. They have, it's been Maryland twice, Minnesota twice, Penn State twice, and Nebraska. Can I, can I take a guess? Is he yeah, averaging like 28 and 15 against those? Things? It feels like it. he's averaging 27 points a game in those games, in those seven games. That's 100% right. They've played five games against teams that are 500 or better. That's Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Purdue, and Rutgers. They are one and four in those games, and he's averaging 17 points a game. So it's a 10 point swing. It's a 10 point swing versus the really good teams and the really bad teams. And maybe that's unfair because maybe I could go do that for Kofi or Hunter Dickinson or all those things. And, and, and maybe, maybe it would end up looking similar, but it's just, it's just a thing. I'm not saying it's nothing, but it's a thing we're kind of noticing. I don't want to hold it against him because I, I, I agree. We could probably do the same thing with Kofi. Kofi's probably a little bit closer against them, but his numbers are obviously better against the, the worst teams. It's just Keegan. It's, it's noticeable for a team that I think, could be a little bit better. Like in those big moments, he hasn't showed up all like Jaden Ivey has. So I don't have Keegan Murray quite as a lot because if he does struggle down the stretch against great teams, maybe Hunter Dickinson, maybe Johnny Davis, maybe Trace Jackson Davis has a great finish to the season or Zach Eady or Trevion Williams can kind of get into that mix. Um, so I don't have him quite as a lock, but I'm, I'm pretty close to it. Like if he has, if he has like three more great games, I think he's a lock. So it was so funny. Like I, I did the same type of exercise you did. I had my three locks. And then the second category I had with, with Davis and Keegan Murray in it is should be locks, but for some reason I'm nervous, right? That's how I feel about them. They should be locks, for this, but for some reason, I'm just a little nervous. Uh, uh, Johnny Davis is definitely not big 10 player of the year. Now I, I'm not trying to be prisoner of the moment, but this has been a rough stretch, like a really rough stretch for him. Now, if Wisconsin comes back, wins a share of the Big Ten title, and he's the reason for it, then he, he could be back into that conversation. So maybe he could rise quicker than anybody here. But like, it's weird for me to say like he's not a lock right now, but he's been an issue. Like the Illinois game, he put up 22 and 15, but that was not a good game. Like that was not a very good game for him. Um, so I... 
Is it crazy that we don't have him as a lock given the year he's had, or does he still need to do more? And I think that says a lot about Hunter Dickinson, right? Because he's the only other guy like I would consider putting over Johnny Davis right now. I'd probably have Johnny, but, but Hunter Dickinson, if he were on a better team would be a lock probably like, and, and that's where I want to give him a lot of credit too. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's just like, it feels like, it feels like if this season ended today, you're right. Johnny Davis would probably make it in, but it, Hunter's making it really hard. And, and I really do think it's going to come down to team success down the stretch If Wisconsin fumbles. Maybe this gets a little bit easier. If Michigan rises, maybe it gets a little bit better. If Michigan struggles down the stretch, maybe we go, well, it's really hard to, it's really hard to put Hunter Dickinson first team all big 10 when you're on, you know, the team that was labeled as the best team in the big 10 coming into this season and you finish under 500 conference play like that would, that it'll play itself out. But the stuff that Hunter Dickinson does every single night is just so good. Like it's so, so good. Michigan is 30 points per hundred possessions better with him on the floor. Their offensive numbers are just shoot through the roof. I think if you were looking at this team now through the prism of knowing what we know now, I don't think this team is built to make Hunter Dickinson look that great. They don't have great floor spacing. They don't have a ton of shooting. They don't have elite point guard play. You know, they play a lot of power forwards along with him. So he doesn't have the spacing that you'd necessarily want. And he's still thriving. And he's like, their point guard a little bit, like just with how, how talented he is. And, you know, some of the touch passes he had against Purdue, he's going to get a rebound and he just immediately touch passes it to a, a buddy for a layup. It's just the things that he does on a nightly basis are really, really good. And he just means so much to that team. And if, if Johnny Davis finishes strong and Wisconsin wins a title, I, I think you have to put him first team all big 10. Like it just, it would be unfair not to, but man, Dickinson's making it close. And, it's wild because everything's been, you know, everything's been set up for Dickinson to fail this year and he's thriving nonetheless. If he had a really good guard with him, right? Like Eli Brooks is a good player, right? Good player. Devontae Jones hasn't been quite what they wanted. Caleb Houston uh, obviously has not been as good as they wanted to. Uh, like we'd, we'd be talking about Hunter Dickinson as a big 10 player of the year candidate, like uh, legitimately, because I mean, his efficiency is ridiculous. I mean, the guy didn't make a three last year. Now he's shooting 39% on 41 attempts. Great free throw shooter, great rebounder, great passer. Um, and I know Illinois fans don't want to know good Hunter Dickinson is because they want yeah. to. He's been great. And I know we haven't been, a lot of people haven't been watching them because they're not as good. Uh, he's been, you know, outside of Kofi Coburn. I, I think Zach Eady's great, but, and Trevion Williams is great. I think Hunter Dickinson's like a mix of those two. Obviously not seven four, but uh, Hunter Dickinson's probably the second best big man in the Big Ten right now. And that's why Michigan matches up well against Purdue because his pick and pop game is legit and real, and it bothered them big time in both matchups. But think about if Michigan had instead of going after Devontae Jones in the transfer portal, think about if they went after Alfonso Plummer in the transfer portal instead. Like, how different would this team be if they go, listen, we're going to trust Eli Brooks to play a lot of point guard, Frankie Collins, we have him coming in, and we're going to go get more shooting, and we're going to go get the best shooter in Alfonso Plummer. How how different would that Michigan team be? Like, they, like how much better would Hunter Dickinson's numbers be? Like, how much how, would this Michigan team be competing for a Big Ten title? I think that's a real conversation that could have been had. Just they, that's where we talk about, like, the roster construction and putting it together brad underwood showed that he could do it really well and that's where i think maybe Jawan howard would maybe want to have this back not saying Devontae jones hasn't been a good player he's been fine but he his fit has been a little clunky and Jawan put together like 
a great team last year. Like all those pieces fit so perfectly. Mike Smith, Shawnee Brown, like it was so good alongside all those other guys. All right. And, and let's just be clear. Like we are separating great players. So like you got to cut them off at five. It is very difficult. So um, I would probably have Johnny today um, as a fifth guy or fourth and fifth guy with Keegan Murray, but uh, it's going to be very difficult if Hunter Dickinson, regardless those six. And then I would say Zach Eady, Trevion Williams, Trace Jackson Davis, and then who's the last of the of the second team? That's really difficult. I, I tell you what, I like Pete Nance. He keeps doing really good things that make no. me really like him, but no. he can't be on that mix because they're not good enough, right? Like they're just not good enough. Is Ron Harper think, Jr. the guy right now? I, I was gonna say it's Ron Harper Jr. or it's or it's Trent. I think those are the two that really stick out the most. And Obviously, Trent needs to get healthier and you have to see more about what he does uh, down the stretch. But I, I think I think Ron Harper Jr. has to be that guy if he makes it in. Could a Michigan State player make it in there? Could like a Malik Hall make a run? Maybe. But it just it feels like he might not have the counting stats to really to make does a Michigan big Michigan State have a guy on the top three teams. Like you no. feel like I feel like I got to vote somebody. But do I feel like uh, trying to think? Do, do I feel like uh, Malik Hall, who's a very good player? Like, don't, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, but is he a better, like, does Alfonso Plummer deserve to be on that over Malik Hall? Does Tyler Wall deserve to be on it over, over Malik Hall? Brad Davison, right? Like, that, that's where I'm at. I'm like, do I put, you know, just a Michigan State player on there, the best Michigan State player, or do I go with the, the next best player who might be the third player on one of these really, really good teams. Yeah. I mean, does, does Malachi Branham play his way into being in there with a strong close to his freshman year? Kind of like Ivy did. I, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's just a, it's just a weird thing. Like Jamison battles going to be finished his, his year at Minnesota averaging like 17 and seven. And he, I don't know if he makes the top three teams cause they're not that good. Right. Like, so it's just, it's just a weird Martin's car used to get first team votes. I'm like, they don't win. Like somebody's got to score a bunch of points on that team. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a really weird thing. And again, like I, we've talked about this before, but I think the voting in this is going to be very fascinating to see who really watches games, because I think you could argue Sasha Stefanovic could also be a third team, all big 10 guy, because he's been really important for them and done a lot of really, his defense is under like the, the stuff that he gives them defensively has been a little bit better than, than you might think. So like, I'll, I, it's do respect, be really weird. I'll do respect to Peyton Willis. Would you put Sasha over him? I, I probably would. Yeah, I think you have to if, if Purdue wins the league. I think you have to. And Peyton Willis has been a really nice player this year, but I think it's just different. Sasha's like Sasha and Trent, I view very similarly. Like they give their teams different things, but the, the value that they have on the floor is, is similar in that aspect. And again, two really old guys that just know how to win ball games, and, and they're really important to what they're doing. Throw Brad Davison into that too. People don't want to talk about Brad Davison, the great year he's having. He's He's been really, really good. Okay, Isaac, let's uh, let's settle this one. Are are you now acknowledging Steve Feichel is legitimate coach of the year candidate after my yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Like I, I hate to admit it, but man, it, it's true. I mean, again, like I said earlier, those three wins this week are just ridiculous. And if they get one against Illinois or Purdue, boy, that's gonna be a, a heck of a that's gonna be a heck of a showing for for this team. And and you know, I think I think long term, like I'm fine with him being at third. I think on my coach of the year rankings, I don't know if I can get him into that second or even really first. Okay. I have five guys that can legitimately be in the conversation. Okay. okay I do. Yeah. I think Brad Underwood and Matt Painter have to be in there. I know Painter's team was projected to be uh, what a co big 10 title winner in the media. 
I don't think he should get discredited for still being that, right? Like, and, and the fact that maybe they haven't run away with this thing. He's a very good coach. I think he deserves to be in there. Same thing with Brad Underwood. I know they're expected to be good. I don't think you should be punished for that, especially given everything uh, that this team has been through. Adversity, you know, line, you know, guys in and out of the lineup. I think Brad Underwood has been fantastic this season. Uh, Greg Gard, overachieving. Right, like the, the, that team is completely overachieved. He needs to be in there. Rutgers completely overachieved. Steve Peichel needs to be in there. And if we're going to talk about Underwood, I think we need to talk about Steve, uh, or we need to talk about Chris Holtman too. Like if Ohio State ends up top three, top four in the Big Ten, given all the injuries, illnesses they've had, given all the guys they lost from last year, Isaac. Like I think Chris Holtman, he wouldn't be in my top three right now, but I still think he's in the mix. I, that's funny because I had him too for me. Like, cause I agree with you. Like I'm, I'm really high on what he's done. I mean, we can talk about not having justice suing and not having Seth towns. Like those are two big pieces. They've also barely had Michi Johnson recently. Cause a couple injuries that he's had with his face, he's, he's been in and out of the lineup. They're trying to play freshmen in big roles. Like Malachi Branham is trying to play a big role. Eugene Brown's been in and out of the lineup, but he's been really good for them defensively at times. He he's uh, twerking or tweaking with like different lineups and, and, and messing with the lineups that he's using he's moved Liddell to the three a little bit to with Kyle Young and Zed Key like he does all of these different things just to try to cover up all these holes and Dwayne Washington Jr. still not here like not here and he was one of the best players in, in the Big Ten last year and we saw how good he can be so I, I think he'd be second on my on my ballot right now and that's not a disrespect to anybody else but just the stuff that oh in COVID let's not forget about that they've had multiple things with COVID where their best player gets COVID and is is out and they've missed multiple weeks of practice with that too so like that I don't know if that's a huge factor but it is a factor so he'd be two on my list because if 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 you talk about what Brad Underwood has missed Chris Holtman has missed almost just as much so who's number three on your list i i had guard as as number three. i I had guard three too um he's done an unbelievable job if they win the big 10 i think he's getting it i I I, if they win the big 10 greg guard will will shoot up i just don't think they will i i I just don't know if what they've been doing this season is sustainable right we're all kind of sitting there going wait they're like eighth in efficiency in this conference yet they're atop the standings or second or third. I think, I think that's catching up to them a little bit, but I, they still have the schedule to, to figure out a way. And they still got that dude and Johnny Davis who could carry them. Um, So I I think if they win, it it says a lot um, that what they went through last year, like we're all kind of like, is this it? Is this it for Greg guard? It feels like he's had that in his entire career, like following up in Bo Ryan. Everyone's like, Oh, he's going to fail. He can't do this. I mean, he's got a chance to win a second big 10 title in three years. Um, so I think he's doing just fine and he's doing everything uh, Wisconsin's ever done outside of those Kaminsky years. Right. So he's number three for me. I have Pykel too. I think what he is doing right now is unbelievable. I, I Jacob young was their second best player last year. I mean, he's certainly their second best scorer. Miles. guard. Yeah. Miles Johnson's one of the best defenders. You lose those two guys yet. You still have a program that is, I mean, they have been one of the top half programs, what, the last two, three years in the Big Ten? That's a pretty amazing achievement uh, for, for Steve Peichel. So if they get to 11, 12, like if they get to 12 wins, he's got a chance to steal this from, from one of these top coaches. So uh, I had him number two. So yeah. you have number one. I have Underwood, number one. 
at the moment, just because of everything that's gone on. One other guy with Rutgers that we forgot, Montez Mathis also transferred too, and he averaged nine points, or he's averaging nine points this year. Last year, he averaged about eight points and a really good offensive player. But you're right. Uh, you and I are to- aligned on this one. Underwood is, is number one just because they've they're winning the Big Ten, they're in first place, and all of the injuries. Send tweet. Just done. Right there. That's it. Like, you can't you can't go through and miss all of these time and still can compete for a big 10 title and not not be number one on this list now and I'm, I'm fine with open to hearing other things and we're gonna have a good finish to the season we'll see who ends up winning the big 10 title and that'll obviously impact it the most but just the the amount of strain that this team has gone through i mean even in the off season losing the assistant coaches having guys in the transfer portal that you didn't expect <laughs> and and to still find a way to to keep it all together and potentially win a big 10 title that that's awfully impressive and if Chris Holtman makes a run here with Ohio state, he'd probably be a number one because he's gone through just as much as Underwood. And I, I think that stuff has to matter. Like the, the in-game coaching is huge and your roster construction is huge, but the amount of trauma that these two guys have gone through this year is pretty insane. Yeah. If they win the big 10, he's got to win. He, he's got to win. Um, especially if they win it outright. And I think the metrics say they're going to win it. I think they have a good chance of getting at least a share of it. And if they get a share of it, I think it's going to be with Purdue. Um, I, you, you said it all, but I also think and you and I have a bias being so close to this program, but if you have a tie with say guard and Underwood, um, guard has been awesome for, for Wisconsin the last three years. I, I think you got to give kind of like a half decade achievement award to Brad Underwood at this point, like what he's done building that program. And I know people are gonna think it's crazy to factor this in, but if you win a share of the big 10 title. I would go tie with a guy who's been the best program in the Big Ten the last three years. I know this would be their first Big Ten regular season title, but they've won six more games than any other program over the last three years. Um, I, I just think he's one of the best coaches in the Big Ten, along with Holtman, Izzo, Painter. That is ridiculous company, right? And, and think of the – this is the best – group of coaches in, in any conference in, in, in the country. So to do what he's done with a program that was bottom half of the big 10 to turn it around, uh, I, I think that should matter just a little bit. And I, I think he should be honored with one of these at some point, but I do think if he doesn't win the big 10 title, I don't think he's winning. It. I, I think Illinois has to win at least a share of the big 10 title. Otherwise, I mean, all, a lot of people in the media love these like, underrated stories and hey Pykel and guard are on my list right uh, i think tom Izzo in years he wins the big 10 title should be considerable like, i think ryan day should win more coach of the year awards um because recruiting matters all that stuff matters but at some point like the best team and the best program like that coach should be honored a little bit more and what's going for him isaac is the last three big 10 championship winning coaches have won the coach of the year award. Matt Painter, Greg Gard, Juwan Howe. I hate when you take my point. Ah. That I, I had to, I had it all lined up. I was like, have you seen some of the coaches that have won this in the previous? I was like, do you remember when Tim Miles won it in 2013? Did the name pop out to you? Because I was going to quiz you of who's won the last five Big Ten coach of the year awards. Rich Patino is one of them. Like Rich yep. Patino won the award in 2017. Well, and then and that's not this is not a shot at Tim Miles and Mark Turgeon and and Richard Patino who all won them in that time. It's just like it feels like the the guys who are fighting for it now 
just are a level above, you know, those guys are good coaches that we just talked about, but you know, you're talking about painter and guard and and Holtman and Underwood, like these guys that just feel a little bit like a little bit level above with some of the stuff that they were do, able to do this year. And it's, it's, it's just funny. Like the, the, the champion's going to win the, the coach of the year and that's just how it's going to be. But seeing yeah, the, only and, see, the only way I can see that not happen is if Pike will finish his top five in the big 10 and this big 10, I think, I think he's going to steal some votes. I don't think, I don't know if he's going to win. I think he's going to steal some votes. I think that's fair, but I also do think that if Wisconsin finishes second, we're going to have some voters that go, well, they were picked 10th in this preseason and they finished second and they're going to probably get a three or four seed. So he's my coach of the year. Boom, done. And maybe that's right. Maybe it is. Maybe it's fair. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the right call. It's just, it's just going to be interesting. And does the fact that they, he just got one in 2019, 2020 mess with it a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be, it'll be really, it'll be really interesting to see. And again, it goes back to this. And like we've talked about it before, do people watch the games? Like, do people watch the games who vote for these things? And that's that's where I'm interested in because there's some there's going to be do. really some of, them, some of them take it very seriously and do others. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, some of my colleagues don't. Um, all right, I think Big Ten Player of the Year is wide open, wide open. Like, who, uh, yeah. who do you vote for today? I don't. Uh, probably Liddell. I guess <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, like. Some Again, one, it might matter uh, who wins the Big Ten, right? Like if Purdue wins the Big Ten, it's probably well, that's, it's, that's it's, why I think that's why I think like you completely agree. That's why I think like this next three weeks is so huge for like all of these huge things. These are huge things. Like you get your banner raised at certain places for winning a Big Ten title, for you know being Player of the Year in the conference, like all of those things. And like that's why these last few games matter because if Ohio State wins it, EJ Liddell's winning it. If Purdue wins it, Jaden Ivey's probably winning it. And we don't have a runaway favorite this year. Like, you know, you could talk about it last year, Luca Garza or Iodasumu, like, and it was a discussion. I get it. It wasn't really that close though, was it? Like we kind of all knew. And I, I enjoy it this year a little bit more when there legitimately is, you know, I think you can make a six man case for player of the year, legitimately six. No, I think, I, I think especially with Davis falling out, Davis was the runaway national player of the year front runner, right? I think I think that's come back down. I think Oscar Shibley probably is the national player of the year right now. But Kofi, Liddell, Ivy, I couldn't disagree with anybody voting. Like it's up for interpretation. That's why, like, even in my instance, I'm probably like, I'm probably gonna be swayed by the last three weeks and whoever wins that Big Ten ring. Well, and I think another thing too is that you just can't look at like counting stats for it because with Ivy, you have so much talent around him that like if you put him in Johnny Davis's spot, he's probably putting up just as good or better numbers you put them in Iowa that hyper offensive you know factory that they have where they're going to get extra possessions and do those things like he's going to go nuts so you just can't look at the country and scoring if he were at Iowa or maybe even Wisconsin right where he's just you know the guy he's a more efficient player than than Johnny Davis he's a better player than Johnny so like for me I'm comparing even Johnny and 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 Ivy I don't even think it's close for my player of the year in the big 10 right now, just because I think Jade Ivy's a better player. Um, but like Liddell is ridiculous. Kofi has been ridiculous. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to, and hard to, to decide on some of these awards. But it's, it's really weird too, because like we, we talk about, well, if he was in this spot, he'd put up great numbers. You could make that case against Liddell. Like the talent around him isn't all that great, right? He doesn't have a good ton of guys taking away his numbers. He's young, getting his- young, right? Like they're really young. Like there's some talent, but they're young. Right. And if he, if they win the big 10 and he's the guy without justice suing, like, come on, like you got to have him there. If they even get a share, he's got it. And and just the eye test with him is just, 
it's tantalizing. Like it's tan- like we talk about, we're big NBA draft guys. Like we like all this stuff. Like if, if, if EJ Liddell's there at 27 in the first round, like you take him like, all right, all right. How about this? Made mistakes. If he's at 27, <laughs> would you, would you draft EJ Liddell at, at in the lottery at, at, at the end, back in the lottery at 15. Is that too high for you? Let's, I'm just trying to figure out the number. What, what number we would we they say, oh, wow, EJ Liddell went 12. That's a little high. I'd struggle to take him like 12, 11, right? Just because there's guys with probably all-star potential. I don't know if he's an all-star, but like EJ's got some of that David West offensive game, right? But he's a way better athlete and can defend people. I don't think Ujo Odell is ever going to be the best player, second best player on a really good NBA team. I can see him being the third or fourth. I, I can see Io being bad at some point in his career, right? Like, which is crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> but like, I, I just think Liddell is going to be good. And I think he's going to get the most out of himself. Like, I just think there's so much value in that nowadays to know that this player is going to develop well once I get him into my system. That's what we see happening with, with I like I don't think of Luka Garza that like he's got so many physical limitations, but drafting him in the second round, why not? Because you know you're going to get the most out of him. I feel the same way about Kofi. Kofi doesn't have nearly as high of a ceiling as Liddell or Desumu, but draft him and probably a two way contract, probably in the G League for a while. But like you're going to get the most out of him. That's not a terrible investment. And I think the same thing about Jaden Ivey and uh, Johnny Davis. I think Jayden both Ivey. of those guys. Well, Jaden Ivey's top five pick. Like, it's just <laughs> offensive talent there. I know, but like you even compare him to some of these guys, and I go, it's going to be really hard for me to not take him just because I know I'm going to get so much out of him. I just I just know he's got something different about him. Like, Jaden Ivey is, is the Big Ten's John Morant, and there's no reason why he can't go be John Morant at the next level, too. He just has that, he just has that look. And, and Davis, like, for his flaws – he's one of the hardest working players in the league. Like, and you can tell with how much he's changed his game. You go, wow, like think about what he could do. And that's, what's so exciting about some of these guys like we're, we talk about, cause they're all just good dudes. Like we, we like legitimately like these guys. We really, really like EJ Liddell. We really like Kofi Coburn. We really like Keegan Murray's mindset. We really like Johnny Davis and, and Jaden Ivey too. And so it's, that's, that's what makes this so fun with this big time player of the year race. And even though Hunter Dickinson, like you might not like his personality, he's a heck of a player. Yeah, I'm like looking at the that 10 through 15 range because you asked me that question about Liddell. Like, it'd be hard to pass on like a Patrick Baldwin, right? Like, you're not going to probably not going to draft Liddell over him because there's just another level. But after that, I mean, I'm looking at ESPN, they got Liddell 16. That's about right to me. Like, most of these other places have him late first. That's about right. Like, I'm not taking, I'm not taking Liddell over Matherin. Um, but man, those other guys. Yeah, I just I know what I'm getting. I think he's gonna be a really good role player in the NBA. And I, I think you'd be making a mistake if you took somebody you got major questions about. Yeah, so I got uh Viceni open here really quick. He had he's a little lower on Liddell. He has him at 42, which I don't know if I love. Like it's by the way, he had Jasumu top 20 last year throughout the entire thing, right? And he did not budge from that. Nope. And me, he was probably right on that. Like some of the guys that he has him around EJ Liddell or Terrence Shannon jr. At 43, same recruiting weekend. Remember that? That was fun. Like, would you take Coloco or Liddell? Like different players, but like, Coloco, I gotta, I gotta think about, right. Because he, he looks like Clint Capella to me. Yeah. He's really good defensively. Like really long, really, really long. Is he, do you think he's Capella? 
That's an interesting comp because Capella is really strong. Coloco feels a little bit more wiry and like, I'm going to yeah. put my head on the top of the backboard type of shot blocker. Maybe he was just the first like rim running great defensive big man that I thought of in my head. Uh, Cause I think Capella is actually a little bit longer than him, but like, I think Coloco can fill out. I don't think he's a, he's a string bean either. Like, so it, the thing with EJ that's, I kind of think about him as, as similar as like a guy like Harrison Ingram from Stanford is like a, you know, the six, seven Uber prospect, like maybe he's that guy. He has a kind of had a weird career and, but he's a little bit younger. He's a freshman. And then you have EJ there who's probably going to be available at 20. And I, I know what I'm getting from him. Like, I know what he is already. Like, that's like the, that's like, that's what makes this job so hard. And like these late first round picks, like, I just don't understand why you don't just take it and go for it. Like take the really good player and just see what he turns into. Cause I think EJ could be a really impactful piece for you for multiple years. Tell you what, if you need a four, this is your draft. Chet Colgram, uh, Paolo Banchero, Jabari Smith, Keegan Murray, EJ Liddell, Christian Coloco, uh, Jeremy Sochan from Baylor, uh, David Roddy, Colorado State, Musa Diabate. Like that's a, that I don't I wouldn't take I wouldn't take him over Liddell, but that's a that's a lottery ticket right there. And Musa Diabate is somebody you could really defend. Oh, and Drew Timmy, who's a national player of the year candidate, is the eleventh best guy at that do position. Think, do you think Diabate goes back to Michigan? Where are you at there? Uh, probably should. If he and Caleb Houston come back, like I think Caleb Houston can be ridiculously good, ridiculously good next year. I think he should look at Keegan Murray and be like, why can't I do that? Like I could do that next year and be a top 10 pick. I feel the same way about Max Christie. And I think Max Christie will come back. Like I don't think he's, he should have any rush of going to the pros like right now. By the way, Sasha Stefanovic, 20. In the the shooting guard rankings, I don't hate that. I don't hate that. Uh, one of the top Big Ten prospects, Bryce McGowan's at Nebraska, putting up yeah. stats. He he puts up his numbers. The 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 jumper's really weird. His jump shot, like he needs like a whole season, like with a with a shooting instructor, a whole off season, because he like it it just doesn't look right. And if I can tell it doesn't look right, like in that, then the NBA guys definitely know that it doesn't look right. It'll be weird to see how he goes. I would not stay at Nebraska two years though. He's the one thing where it's just like, I'm out after one year, I do my time and I'm out. Max Christie, I'm going to compete for a big 10 title. Caleb Houston, probably competing for a big 10 title player of the year. You're not doing that at Nebraska. So I, I don't think the upside for McGowan's is as, as high to stay for a year two. Fred Hoiberg does not win big 10 games, but he does produce draft picks, right? Delano Banton. Having a nice little rookie year there. Kind of a good player. He's such a perfect Raptor, isn't he? Six foot 10, dribbles, does everything, plays with Scotty Barnes, all that. Do you like the Raptors? Have you watched them a lot this year? Oh, I don't want to play them in the first round if I'm the Bulls whatsoever. They're just so long. They're so, so long and so athletic. Like, they see guys who can make shots, but God, the defensive. I've been holding this one back on you because we had a group chat where you yelled at me when I said that the, the Raptors have four really nice players. I really like this team. And you yelled at me about it. And now here they are. <laughs> you were like, you were telling me how Gary Trent wasn't that great or uh, good players. Know. Like that, they just, they're, they're kind of like Michigan state, right? Like they got all these pretty good pieces. They have a dude, probably not like Fred Van Vliet's really good. Like I, yeah. I really like watching them. They just are a matchup nightmare, especially for the bulls who right now are, are small, but once Lonzo and Caruso come back, I feel a lot more confident. I really like that team. I, I, it's just because they have all the, the long wings that I like the Scotty Barnes, the Pascal Siakam, the uh, obviously Fred Van Vliet, but Gary Trent's a really good shooter. They have Banton. It's, like, it's like liking the Oakland days, right? It's like you love like having that underdog team that 
figures out a way to compete, they have no chance at a title, right? Like they just, there's, there's no chance. The team that won the, the NBA title not that long ago. <laughs> no, I'm saying this team now, like oh, okay. Kawhi. Like Kawhi is a little bit different. Um, but who would have thought the Chicago Bulls would have the best off-season acquisition by far? Like it's pretty amazing. Demar, what he's doing right now. And, and the best value pick rookie in the same off-season. That <laughs> will help you win games in a hurry. It's amazing what leadership can do, whether it's Illinois basketball or the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Isaac Trotter, of course, we get a pod and we go for an hour and 15 minutes. It's a lot to talk about. Absolutely no one. (laughs) We'll talk soon. Maybe we'll have to do it again next week and just scrap all this stuff that we talked about this week because this league, this league gets crazy. This league, man. Sounds good. Great stuff from our old friend, Isaac Trotter, who's really doing great from the national desk of a a lot of Big Ten basketball coverage. So take advantage of that with 24-7 sports and and Isaac's uh, great knowledge, and he's really sunk his teeth into the basketball coverage. So you can also follow him on Twitter as well, at Isaac, two underscores, Trotter. That's at Isaac, two underscores, Trotter. Appreciate you listening to the Illini Inquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Derek Piper heading out to Rutgers, but before he did, uh, he gave us a story on Kylan Boswell also give his thoughts on the recruitment. So all you need to know about the five-star former Champagne native, now family lives in California, but he plays in Arizona. 2023 five-star guard coming close to a decision. Arizona visit coming up very shortly uh, as well. So Derek's got you covered on that angle. Joey and I have more in the weeks uh, later this week, including myself going to cover a little bit of basketball recruiting. So we'll have more on the site with that as well. So check us out at IlliniInquire.com. And as always, it's $1 for VIP membership for your first month if you want to give us a try there. Everybody, enjoy the Rutgers game. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next time on the Illini Inquirer podcast. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.